0: You like it when Bud reads scripture? Don't you like it when Bud reads scripture? So where's my man, Zach? Did he go to Sunday school? Yeah, well, can I try that? Okay, so so when I come in this morning, you know it's the Sunday after Christmas when there's a helicopter flying in the sanctuary. So, so you know, at Cornerstone, we're not known for like smog machines and, or not smog, fog machines and strobe, <laughs> we can't, can't even say it, fog machines and stro- strobe lights. But I thought we'd, we'd give this a try. Uh, give this thing a try. I'll try not to hit any of you. Is it going to take off? There we go. I am going to hit someone. All right. I had to crash because I was going to take Neil out. So that was, a, that was an intentional crash. All right. I have. Uh, I've never started a sermon with a helicopter flight before. Always wanted to do that. So thank you. Um, you know, I, I wanted to share something, too, about Christmas. Um, one of the things, um, you know, my parents uh, divorced when I was young, and home is, is where I live now. I don't have a whole lot of roots. It's great to have my father-in-law here with us today. And one of the things I love is when we go to my uh, father-in-law's house, my my wife's uh, bedroom is the same bedroom that she grew up in as, as, as a little girl. And there's just something I love about that longevity. But there is a longevity streak that is just outrageously long. I, just, I got permission to share this. So um, when I mention these years, someone's going to say, oh, he shouldn't have said that. Um, Marais on our worship team, uh, raise your hand, Marais, so people know what we're talking about. Marais has celebrated Christmas in the same house for 63 years. every Christmas at her mother's house in Red Bluff, uh, haven't missed a one. Now, she's only 35, but somehow she has been there 63 consecutive years. And, uh, and I just love that. I just love that. I had to share that with you. The helicopter and that have absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I had to uh, share that with you. So we have finished, uh, Pastor Adam and I have finished this series uh, through Advent, uh, on the Word becoming flesh, um, last week finishing in John 1, where we've been there twice. And so today we're, we're going back to this series in Exodus, uh, the Gospel according to Exodus. And we have this title of the series, this long series that we've been in, going through the book of Exodus, a chapter at a time, a small section that we're going to go through today. We've entitled this series, The Gospel According to Exodus, because we believe that the whole Bible points to Jesus and to his message, the gospel message. Exodus ultimately is about Jesus. We sometimes have to do work to see that, but it is uh, about Jesus. So if you would turn with me to Exodus uh, chapter 23, Exodus chapter 23, we're going to go straight away uh, into the word of God today exodus twenty three although let me let me pray once again before we get into this passage let 's let 's bow our heads, Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. I ask now that as as far as it 's possible lord that that I would be um, diminished and you would increase Lord, I know that there are things that need to be heard from your word and from this sermon into people's lives and hearts. And so I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would do work that, that no preacher could prepare for today. We pray that lives would be changed, including my own. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 23, and I'm going to take us through verses 14 through 19. So a short section, Exodus. What did I say? 23, Exodus 23, and uh, look at verse 14 with me really briefly. It says, three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. I love that, that first verse of our section uh, today. Three times a year you are to uh, celebrate, you are to party. Uh, I love the fact that our God is about celebrations and about parties, Now, his parties are much better than the kind of partying that is common in the world, the kind of partying that is so common on our college campuses. His partying has significance. It has purpose. Uh, It has meaning. And we need to understand what was going on here. And in verse 14, he is basically telling the ancient Israelites that three times a year, they are to travel they would travel by foot or donkey. They would they would travel by foot up to Jerusalem for these three feasts or these three festivals. And let's take a look at each, each one of these and see what they're about. The first one is in verse 15. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in that month... You came out of Egypt, so this first feast is called the feast of unleavened bread, and it was the very beginning of this feast. The very first day was a Passover, and this feast is commemorating the uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. It, It is is commemorating their their escape after that that final plague that God has delivered them from their physical bondage and from their spiritual bondages as well. God has delivered them. And so each year they are to celebrate that with this uh, feast of unleavened bread. Now one of the uh, questions that arises is, is why uh, unleavened bread? Why a bread without yeast? And so I'm going to flip my Bible back. You can turn with me or just listen to chapter 12 and verse 11. Chapter 12 and verse 11 says, This is how you are to eat it. These are more instructions specifically about Passover, day one of this feast. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So they they were to celebrate this with unleavened bread because that unleavened bread was a symbol that they were at the ready, that that this this uh, this redemption, this 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 uh, freedom, this liberty from their bondage in Egypt, uh, happened in a moment, and theoretically the bread's in the oven, and they were not able to wait for this bread to rise, and they were they were gone, and so the yeast uh, without yeast is is symbolizing this, so this first festival here is commemorating an awesome awesome event. You remember what happened with this final plague where those families who by faith obeyed God and put the blood on the doorposts of their homes, the angel of death passed over their homes, and they were saved by faith, by obedience, by this blood. And those who did not, the firstborn was taken out, and they are able to um, to find their way out of uh, the bondage and slavery that they were in in egypt, and of course, this blood is a is a pointer to that final blood that would be shed one day by Jesus on the cross uh, in our place. so this first uh, festival, this feast of unleavened bread, is linked with uh, Passover and it is commemorating uh, the exodus so the uh, the the next uh, sentence here, take a look at it. It says, No one is to appear before me empty-handed. In this uh, sentence, this verse is relating to all three of these festivals. They are to bring an offering to the Lord as they families would travel up to Jerusalem singing psalms on their way. Uh, I always have backpacking trips in my mind when I think of these feasts and these pilgrimages. There would be Families and animals and all kinds of people traveling. And they were to bring some sort of offering to the Lord. Do not come empty-handed. We're not told here uh, whether they brought uh, an animal that they sacrificed or whether they brought some of their uh, crops. But something is to come and to be offered before the Lord. It's interesting that the language of offering in the New Testament, um, of course, we, uh, it's interesting, the language that's used uh, for us, uh, if we ask the question, what is our offering? What is it that we are supposed to bring to the Lord? And you might be thinking about ties and so forth, but I, 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 there's, there's a piece of that. But really, what, what is our, our offering that the Lord looks for us? He, he wants us to come daily, as well as when we gather to worship uh, with an offering. What, what, what is that offering in Romans 12.1? What, 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 it's us. It's us. We are to be living sacrifices. They were to actually bring these things as an expression of worship. But the new covenant, Exodus, as I said, is pointing to Jesus. This new covenant, things are done differently. And we don't need to bring a, a, a lamb. We don't need to bring a, a barley or grain to offer to the Lord. He wants us to bring ourselves each day to surrender ourselves to him as living sacrifices. So again, this not coming empty-handed is uh, applicable to all three of these feasts. So feast number one, uh, the um, commemorating the exodus and coming out of slavery and bondage. And then feast number two is in verse 16. Celebrate the feast of the harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. So all of these feasts are, are tied with the agricultural seasons that um, that agrarian societies had, that the Israelites had in the first century. But there is theology, there is meaning behind each of these feasts beyond, beyond the harvest. So uh, I'm not sure what the ESV says here, but this is, I'm, I'm preaching out of the NIV, uh, the old NIV. So this feast is also called the Feast of Weeks. Uh, the Feast of Weeks. Celebrate the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of... Of weeks, and this feast uh, came to commemorate the giving of the word of God. So, feast one is commemorating the Exodus and, and freedom, uh, our salvation, the Israelites' salvation, as it were. And feast two is commemorating the the giving of the law of the word of God uh, through Moses. So, feast three is in the next uh, next sentence here. Celebrate the feast of ingathering or the Feast of Booths, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, these feasts get confusing, and it seems like they have about 50,000 different feasts because we have all these synonyms or names for a specific feast. So this third feast has three common names, Feast of Ingathering, Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. Celebrate this at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. And this feast uh, commemorated the wilderness wanderings. Uh, Remember before the Israelites uh, made it into this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, uh, they had lessons to learn, and they had consequences, and they were in the desert for 40 years, and they learned in that desert to depend on the Lord. The reality is you and I depend on the Lord every single day for every breath that we have, for everything that we have, but we so easily forget that. They couldn't forget that out in the desert, and they were relying upon the Lord for their food, for the manna and the quail. And so this third feast, this third party that the Lord has given for ancient Israel to celebrate was to remember that. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're told that this was the most neglected of the feasts. Uh, the Israelites were not always faithful in, in obeying the word of God, just as we aren't. And this is the one that was most neglected. And you can kind of see, if you were going to neglect one, this is the one that we would neglect, commemorating that time Uh, in the desert that we had uh, by staying in these shelters or these little booths. That's one of the reasons it's called the Feast of Booths. All right, you tracking with me here today? A few more verses, and then we'll bring this home and, and to our own lives. So verse 17, three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. From verse 17, we might think that these feasts were only for men, but we're told in Deuteronomy and other places in the law that actually these feasts are for everybody. They're not only for husbands, uh, the leaders of the home, but for wives, for children, for servants, for slaves. Bring everybody. This is a multi-aliens. Uh, this is a multicultural non-Israelites. This is a multicultural, multi-generational uh, event, and, and we're, we're all going to be uh, a part of that, even though from verse 17 we might think it uh, something different. Uh, verse 18, do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. These these last few verses are descriptions about how these festivals go down, how they function. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Verse 19, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. This is perhaps referring to the offerings in general or referring to uh, the Celebrate the Feast of, of the Harvest. And then we come to this final sentence, which is just one of these, the Bible is full of crazy verses. I, I, I want to say that reverently, but there's, there's just verses that are just, are, are, are there crazy verses in the Bible, church? Do you read your Bible sometimes and just go, what, what? So, so this is one of those. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Is that is that just crazy? Is that just weird? I think that's weird. You don't think about anything. You're all quiet. It's hard to have a conversation. Um, so, so, so what's going on here? So let me tell you about this verse. Okay, I have some, some history with this verse. Uh, Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So about 10 years ago or so, I'm really bad with sequence and years. Some years ago, uh, I traveled to uh, Israel. And while I'm there, um, I'm just I'm uh, just an awesome place to visit for so many reasons. The things I'm going to talk about are have nothing to do with the awesome reasons. This is kind of a weird thing, but as I'm there, uh, I, I you know they see a McDonald's in Jerusalem, and uh, there's Big Macs and all these things, but there are, is no cheese on any of the hamburgers in Israel. Any anybody else been there? Anybody notice this? If you go into a pizza place. In Jerusalem, you cannot get pepperoni on your pizza. Did you know that? Okay, you're waiting for me to c- connect some dots here. You're like, what is he talking about? Okay, let's look back at this verse. The reason you can't get pepperoni on your pizza in Israel and that McDonald's has no cheese on their burgers is this verse. Okay, let's look at this crazy verse. It's a, it's a false understanding of this verse. So the way the rabbis, for a long time, I didn't look how long they've been teaching this, but for a long time, the way the rabbis understand this, this sentence, do not cook a goat in its mother's milk, is that Jews who are faithful to God's word will not eat dairy products along with meat. The young goat is the meat, and the mother's milk represents dairy products. So it's part of their culture. And Orthodox Jews are real serious about this, and it just permeates into all their restaurants and everything. That's not what this verse is saying, however. Would anyone have concluded that from this verse? No. So what does this verse mean? It means do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. But why does it say that? And for the history of Bible interpretation, there's been all kinds of crazy things about what what, what this particular verse meant, and I won't go into all those. But in 19, I'll tell you the, the solution that I think is right. In 1933, uh, archaeologists are doing work, and they find this Ugar- Ugaritic, a language kind of like a Hebrew. They find this Ugaritic text uh, for uh, Canaanites, other people, the neighbors of the Israelites. And it was a fertility uh, fertility activity to do this. Uh, back in those days, the way that you were prosperous and successful is if you had lots of crops and if you had lots of kids. And Israel's neighbors did all kinds of strange things to try to get more kids and to try to have um, lots of, of little boys and girls. And one of the things that they did is they cooked young goats, in its mother's milk in order to promote fertility in their tribes. And so what we have here in this last crazy sentence is God saying to the ancient Israelites, don't include this stuff that your neighbors are doing in the worship of their false gods, even if they seem to be having all kinds of blessing and fruitfulness in their homes or in their animals, in their families that you are not having. Don't do this kind of thing in your festival. But if we travel to Israel, you cannot get pepperoni pizza because of this verse. At least you couldn't 10 years ago. Um, if, if it's changed, somebody can let me know, uh, let me know afterward. I, that was just fascinating to me. And I probably spent way too much time on that. But, uh, but uh, here we go. It's okay to laugh at me. You can, you can laugh at me. All right, so we're through this text. What I want to do in the remainder, remainder of our time is what we should do really every time we read the Bible. And it's hard to do this. We read a text like this and we go, okay, <laughs> what, 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 Lord, what does this have for me? Uh, what, what, what does this passage Say to me today. We've understood it in the ancient context, but we also need to understand every passage of Scripture and how God wants to speak to you and me today through this passage. And it's often hard work to do that. So that's what I want to do in the remainder of the sermon. And I want to ask three questions. And I want you to think about these questions. I'm going to answer them myself in front of you here today, but I want you to think about them. And each of these questions comes from each of these three feasts. So, question number one. Do you have a heart that is eager to celebrate your deliverance from sin? Do you have a heart that's eager to celebrate your movement from a life living for yourself to a life of, of living with liberty in Jesus Christ? Do you have a heart that wants to celebrate that? This is the heart that God wants in the Israelites, this is why this festival, which we no longer are bound to, we no longer keep i mean we 're free to do it if we wanted to, but we, we, we're, this is not we 're not uh, under obligation to to fulfill this f- festival in light of the new covenant. But the theology here the the message for us today is, do we have the heart of gratitude that wants to celebrate what God has done in my life? Do you have a heart of gratitude to celebrate what God has done in moving you from darkness into light? And I have to say today that, that I do have that heart. By the grace of God, I am so thankful for Jesus and for what he has done uh, in my life. You've all heard my story before. I'm going to tell you a little parts of it again uh, anyway. Um, but I, uh, I, I was, as a kid growing up, was just wandering uh, at night in my bed i'm wandering in my mind what is life about what am i here for Well you know I, I didn't grow up with with uh, the bible i didn't grow up with here's what life is all about and so i'm just kind of moving from thing to thing to thing just trying to just i mean i wouldn't have described myself as lost but i was just lost just totally totally lost and then spring break, my senior year in high school, 1987. One of my friends, he shoves me in this car with this attorney, this Bible-thumping attorney. And he's just running errands. He's just running errands around, driving around Houston, and he has me next to him. I don't know this guy at all. I'm just trapped in his car and, and stuck with him, and I'm not real happy. And the first thing he asks me is, are you a Christian? And I know the right answer is yes, right? This is a religious guy. Yes, I'm a Christian. I, I'm not an atheist. I'm not, you know, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. And he tells me to pull the Bible out of the glove box in front of him. And so I know this guy is weird. He's got a, he's got a Bible in his glove box, who carries a Bible in their glove box? So I pull this Bible out, and he says, Yeah, I want you to turn. I just told him I was a Christian. He says, Turn to 1 Timothy 5. So I'm like trying to speed. You know, to, I have no idea what 1 Timothy 5 is. You know, I'm assuming it's in the Bible. But I have no idea what it is. So I'm speeding and speeding. I finally find, finally find this passage. It says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in absolute purity. So I read that. And he knows I have a girlfriend, and I've just told him I'm a Christian. And he says, do you treat your girlfriend like a sister in absolute purity? And I'm like, you know, that Southwest commercial, want to get away? You know, I'm like, I'm like I, am, I am not interested in this conversation. I don't remember what I said to him. What was going on in my heart was, I'm a senior in high school. I don't treat my girlfriend like a sister. That's sick. I mean, come on. I I, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I don't even remember what I said. Long story short, I never let Scott know that um, that, that I was, that the Lord was working on me. I was arrogant. I was prideful. I'm just trying to answer these questions right and get out of the car. But during that week, spring break, I was visiting my friend uh, Greg, who's a freshman at Rice University. During that week, the Lord started to work on me, and I started to read the Word of God. And one night, my life was surrendered, and that was my uh, that was my Exodus. That was my uh, freedom from uh, bondage and slavery and, and wandering. and And I have a heart to celebrate that it, it is my life has has never been the same. I'm so thankful for Jesus and what he's done. And I think that's at the heart of this first feast here, this festival of unleavened bread, that we would have that heart. I'm praying that you have, we all have different stories. And if you grew up in a Christian home, your story not going to be dramatic probably. And that's awesome that the, we don't need to have a dramatic story. But we have to have a time in our lives, every single one of us, where we have moved from darkness to light, unless maybe you don't even remember the darkness if you grew up in such a godly environment. But at some point, we've got to have that story, that we've made that transition, that we've come to faith in Jesus. It's a central message of the Bible is to believe that gospel. So that's my, my first question. Uh, as, as we seek to bring this text into our lives today, do you have a heart that is eager to celebrate your deliverance from sin your deliverance from yourself. Question two. Do you have a heart that is eager to celebrate that God has given you access to his word? God has given you his will for your life here. The, the kinds of things, where we should work or where we should move, what, whether we should do the kinds of things that we tend to fret about are so far down the list of what is important. He has given us his will for our lives in the scriptures. And this this second festival, this this Feast of Harvest, became a festival that celebrated the giving of the word of God to the people. They cherished this. Think about God's people going all the way back to the beginning, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. They had oral tradition. They had stories that were passed down. And so uh, there came a point in time where the word of God was, was written and given and revealed. And, and, and then the closing of that with the end of the apostles in the New Testament. Do you have a heart that is thankful to celebrate that God has given you access to his word? By the grace of God, I am thankful that I have been given access to his word and it has changed my life dramatically. I... I, I, I I think about it every day. The Bible commands us to do that. Joshua 1, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. I mean, I have some way to go there. I'm, I'm not saying I'm there, but, I'm, but the word of God is guiding me and Lord over me all the time. Whatever I'm doing, not just when I'm preaching. I was here uh, yesterday in the building in my office upstairs, and I got a late lunch and uh, took off uh, to our uh, fellowship hall called Taco Tree right down the way here at uh, Dry Creek in 49. Probably some of you will be at the fellowship hall after this uh, service today. I'm not sure if we're going there or not. Probably not the time to talk about it right now, but anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, so so yesterday, late lunch, I'm going to Taco Tree, and it's not crowded there at the register, and I'm seeing a familiar face. And the word of God, his will for you and for me, the passage Bud read this morning is to love God with all of our hearts, to love our neighbors as, as ourselves. So I've been preaching to myself recently, even when I go to a place like Taco Tree, is there a way I can love that guy and, and impact him uh, through the gospel in some way uh, just across the the cash the cashier. And I don't know this guy's name. I know a lot of people's names there, but this guy don't know his name. But I recognize his face. He recognizes my order. We kind of have some games about how I order food. He laughs at me. I take so many things off this super burrito that he just laughs at me that my burrito, not burrito, uh, nachos, that my nachos are no fun. He calls my nachos no fun. So we have this thing. So yesterday, as I go in there, because of the word of God, I'm thinking about loving him. And I, I, I go in there and I'm, I'm thinking, uh, what, what can I say? And I see his face is just down. His face just looks, looks low. And so I say, with, with real intention behind it, how was your Christmas? And his Christmas was bad. He was separated from family. And, and we just had a real you know, three-minute conversation across the counter there before the next person came up uh, about uh, being separated from family. And, and I'm praying that I'll be able to impact that guy more. The, the reason that I am thinking that way is because the word of God, I'm not trying to boast here. I'm just saying by the grace of God, he, he, he rescued me just like he did uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. They didn't do anything. He says, I didn't choose you because you were more numerous than other people or because you were better than other people. That's the case for me as well. That's the case for you. If you're a Christian, it's not anything that you did. It is by the grace of God that we're saved. But as the word of God gets into us, it comes out. And we need to be thankful. We need to have the same heart that these ancient Israelites should have had as they went to this feast of, of harvest as we uh, go about our our journey. So the last question, last question corresponding to the last feast. Uh, do you have a heart that is eager to celebrate God for delivering you or seeing you through those desert seasons of life? You know, we've all had uh, desert seasons of life. This third festival is, is commemorating that time in the wilderness. Uh, we've all had them. The question is, can we see what God is doing? And we often have to be far removed from those desert seasons before we see what God is actually doing, Uh, wanting us to learn, wanting us to see uh, through that. And again, by the grace of God, I can say I have seen and I want to celebrate what God has done in bringing me through numerous deserts, some big and and long and and some small throughout my life. There's been some hard times. One of those times, again, going back quite a few years, was my sophomore year uh, in college. It was a bad year. Um, The only thing I excelled at, and I've shared this with you before, too, the only thing I excelled at was ping pong uh, my sophomore year. Ping pong and basketball a little bit. I I didn't apply myself to my studies, um, I, I remember, you know, it was the first time in my life uh, in the mailbox you get, when you're in danger of failing a class, you get these little notes uh, in your mailbox. And, and Anybody else ever got any of those, those notes? Anyway, I got a bunch of those notes uh, that, that year. Um, I wasn't doing well in school. Um, I, I, I was making all kinds of bad decisions. The worst one that I made was not being close to other brothers. I had just transferred from Texas Tech to Westmont College in Santa Barbara, and i did not I did not develop relationships with other brothers in Christ. so important to do that in my year bad relationship, just a terrible, terrible year. at the end of the year, I applied to be a resident assistant, and so I applied for this position and I remember getting that letter uh, in the in the, my mailbox uh, on top of all the you might be failing this class uh, uh, slips that I was getting and i get this letter and i open it up and and the gist of the letter was uh, we don't want you. Got one of those rejection letters. Anybody 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 ever got not for a resident anybody gotten a rejection letter raise your nobody i'm the only one. Anyone ever gotten we don't want you letter? I got one of those. And it was just it was just the end of a terrible year. And i was just i was ready to i was just done. Didn't want to go back to school, considered not going back. And that summer, as I got around brothers again, and and, and, and when I say brothers, I mean, I mean what I call now, I wouldn't have used this phrase then, but what I call redemptive friendships. Uh, brothers who help you to grow in Christ. Uh, if you're a woman, sisters who help you to grow in Christ. Those who will be lovingly intrusive into your life and, and you'll talk about things that you wouldn't talk uh, about with other guys, with, with other ladies. Um, so I, I get around some brothers that summer, and I'm trying to fight the fight. I'm trying the fight of faith and trying to repent and trying to work my way back and, and, and trying to muster up to go back to uh, college. And, and during that summer, I got another envelope in the mailbox. Westmont, you know, I wasn't very excited about opening it because I've had a long history of bad. Uh, I'm thinking this envelope's going to say, Thanks for coming for a year. You know, we were glad to have you. You don't need to uh, come back. You know, you didn't apply yourself very well. So that's kind of what I'm expecting. And so I get that envelope, and I'm opening it up. And uh, it says, hey, wanted to let you know we got a spot for this resident assistant position. Want to let you know if you want it. And behind that letter was the providential hand of God. He uh, saw me through this this desert season where I needed to learn repentance and change and discipline, and I needed to learn all kinds of things. And yet at the end, he he, he, uh, he, he brought that letter and, and, and he showed me that even uh, a desert season of life like that is something to celebrate about. The most neglected feast, uh, Nehemiah tells us, was this feast, the feast of the ingathering or the feast of booths. This feast that commemorates that time in the wilderness, this very hard time of of ancient of ancient Israel. So, I, I hope you've been thinking about your own life as I've been talking about mine. Do you have a heart that is eager and eager to celebrate uh, these things? Uh, I want to close our our time today, uh, reading along the same theme of of God being worshipped through hard times, of trusting Him through a desert season of life. I want to close our time reading to you from Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17 and following. Listen to the word of God here. Just listen to this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Amen. Would you please stand with us?